Hi, I'm Nikki Felbert. I'm a filmmaker and continuous seeker of life's truth and natural magic. And here's where I get to share amazing interviews and findings with you from people that have followed a calling and have a wealth of knowledge to share. This is Liz Ruth. She is a veterinary nurse and has cared for animals and communities in Southern and Central Africa. Uh, she's also an author. I have recently read her book, Book of Pages, which is an incredibly funny story. I laughed all the way through it. Um, and also she has so much insight into baboons and chimpanzees that she's looked after and will go into the other animals that she's cared for and made friends with. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Liz, thank you so much for chatting to us. Um, you. Your story is phenomenal um, because you seem to have such a passion for animals yeah. and you literally almost worked yourself into death working for animals. Kind of, <laughs> yes, it happened. What was the passion that made you go, this is what I want to do, I want to work with animals? From an early age, you know when you're young, there's a lot of pressure to decide what you want to do with your life. Yeah. And as a young person, it's impossible for you to know. And there's not a lot of people are blessed with that kind of insight from a young age. Just like, I want to be a fireman. That's what I'm going to do forever. Yeah. Um, it's so, th there's a bit of a heartfelt story in the background there. It's not all roses. It, I, my mother left when I was a year old. I, my father got custody and it was my brother and I. Uh, he was an airline pilot and so we learned independence from a very early age and I didn't have a, a strong feminine input into my life. My dad was a genius on a lot of levels. He taught me how to fix cars, you know, I'd mow the lawn and pick up dog poop. and um, But I think that removal of the, the strong feminine influence for me allowed me a certain toughness to go out into the world and start this this journey on my own. But the, the animal part of it was, I think, a lot about, you know, realizing that people let you down and animals are just pure light. Mm. They, look, working with primates, they lie. They lie and they cheat and they can be, they can be cruel and they can show such kindness and compassion. And, you know, science will look at it and say, well, this is, this is a genetic behavior. This is scientifically explained. But I'm sure that we all know that our cats and dogs pick up when we're sad. Yeah. We all know that there's heart and soul, even in a fish. You know, I've had a vet yeah. tell me fish don't have feelings, but if, oh. if fish have got brains and central nervous systems, they've got intelligence, they've got love. And there is so much that animals can give to us because they are little personalities in themselves. Sometimes you you get along with an animal better than another animal. Some people are dog people, some people are cat people. I think all animals have their own characters and their own set of, you know, characteristics that you need to get used to. And For each animal, not, not specifically species, but actually both, each animal. Both, 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 you know, and w the work that I've done with animals, I realized a long time ago that, like, my, my efforts are just a drop in the ocean, but I've made differences to individuals. I've done a lot of energy work. I do Reiki on animals. I've done a, a tea touch work and they're, they're so open to the energy work and just that interaction where they open themselves up to that energy is, it's sublime when it works and it happens and you know. So I think a lot of people know what Reiki is. It's, yes. it's as you said, it's energy work. Um, yes. But what is tea touch? So tea touch was originally, um, 
It, tea Touch was formulated by uh, Linda Tellington Jones, and it was a, a form of therapy that she inherited through a number of avenues. And it's very much a circular massage touch. But when I started in the uh, with, with the Tea Touch course, I was very um, taken with the idea that it's not so much about the circular movements or the knuckle movements. It is about that almost trance-like bond that is created on a very spiritual level when you and the animal are concentrating on the touch. Right. So and they're receiving, they know they're getting something yes, from you. Yes. And that's where the focus is. Well, you're getting something from them as well. It's, it's a circular energy flow. Oh, wow. I've done it on horses who've basically just nodded off and we've both been like, okay, we're somewhere and this is beautiful. Amazing. And they're very open to it and it's lovely. But I use more of the Reiki um, with, you know, especially with animals that are in distress, the, the Reiki is not a hands-on. Yeah. You can do it from afar, but they just click onto it and sometimes they don't want it. Yeah. Sometimes it's uncomfortable for them. They're in too much, you know, of a distress to actually be open to that. So you 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 do some tea touch, right? Or you change your. You, everybody is different. Even yeah. humans don't like a certain way. So you modify because animals are like people. They have different personalities and different likes and dislikes. What? Um, in, in, in your experience and your story, can you think of a story that um, where an animal has been in incredible distress and then where you've been able to come in with Reiki or tea touch and really seen a difference? I'd love to yes. hear a story on that. Okay, well, there's a good story and there's <laughs> a bad story. So I was working as, as the primary vet uh, nurse at Animal Anti-Cruelty here in the Cape. And a cat came in and it had been poisoned. And I have a feeling there was some hallucination going on. Um, and I just went in and thought the Reiki would be the best thing. So the cat was a little bit mobile on the table, seeing green monsters. <laughs> and I almost, in, <laughs> you know, in my wisdom, I almost enveloped him on the table just, just to create a bubble of energy. And he looked, and he must have seen devil horns coming out of my <laughs> And he lashed out, and I have, I have scars across my nose. He just ripped me. Oh, I put my hand on him to get out the way, and he chomped my hands. And that was an example of maybe not a correct time to, to put the, this light and these <laughs> Beautiful flares of light onto an animal. Like, this is crazy, <laughs> get away from me. He hated it. He hated it. Another, uh, so the good story is I studied, when, when I was studying my vet nursing at Honestapurt, we used to have, they did some outreach work with um, almost like wild cattle. So a lot of the communities in that area, they will allow their, their cattle to graze on an area. And unfortunately, the cattle eat plastic. Mm. And so we were getting a lot of cows in that had plastic in their stomachs. And so these arrogant vets went away and they decided they needed to work out, you know, the, the right um, anesthetic doses. And they were all, you know, learning, as was I. But I had, I'd come across the T-Touch and the Reiki prior to that and I'd I'd already started on a journey with the healing. So they, they left me with this cow who was in a crush and I just said to her, um, she was fighting, she's feral, she's not used to being handled and she's certainly not used to being in a crush. Mm -hmm. And I said to her, your, your fight is gonna damage you. And I put my hands a little bit away from her body next to her neck and I said, you need to calm down and she dropped her head and it happened almost instantaneously. Wow. She went down just like she was filled with light and calmness because I really needed her to. I was so compassionate about her being okay with this because she was really in distress. Yeah. 
she went down almost immediately and these vets came out and they said, what did you do? What did you inject her with? And I'm like, if I tell them that I've just laid my hands on her, they're, they're going to burn me at the stake. I'm not going to do well in, in these two years of study. So I just said, I, d I didn't inject her with anything and I just like spoke to her a bit and they were like, yeah, what do you know? <laughs> so over, the, over my work, I've never really advertised what I do. It's nobody's business what I do. It is in the best interests of the animal. Yeah. And it's worked so many times that I know that there's something there. And yeah. I don't have to boast about it, it just, it works. So I'm I do fascinated it. that you said to the cow, yes. you have to calm down, yes. otherwise you're gonna hurt yourself. Yes. How do you think the cow understands that? Do you think it understands some words or do you think it's an energetic idea that? So, so during my work with animals, and I've, I've worked with a lot of animals in distress, that's the welfare side of my work, and people say to me, oh, I wouldn't be able to do that, you're very strong. I believe that I was meant to do this, it is my calling, I have a gift for it, and I think that animals have not got a sense, they can't speak with words, yeah. so they have developed their other senses much stronger than us, yeah. than ours. So they can be clairvoyant, and I think that um, they can read our mind pictures. Yeah. So when I'm saying the words, my stupid human brain is feeling the energy that the words evoke, right. and the animal is picking up that energy. So I've taken dogs outside before, and I've said to them, have a poop, and I've Im I've see I've made the picture of them having a poop in my mind, and suddenly they have a poop because yeah. they feel like a poop. Yeah. So, I think that science tries to explain away a lot of energy and and you know um, physics, and I believe there is so much that we don't understand about how energy moves between people and animals, yeah. and even in a room, and even between plants yeah. we don't we don't we try to explain it because that's how our human brains make order of the world if yes. we can't explain it it's it's something that's bad or something that needs to be feared that's yeah. why i don't tell people i do reiki because if you're very religious you think that i'm f i'm trying to be god but i'm not i'm a conduit for universal energy yeah. and our universe is this like huge flow of energy and we can almost uh, act as circuits for the energy yes. and it's it's as simple as saying nice words to each other or doing a nice deed it mm -hmm. is as simple as that it doesn't have to be metaphysics yeah it's just very simple yeah you know? I think also um, quantum science does actually explain a lot of it, but people in a scientific field um, don't look at quantum science as something tangible because yes. it is, it's almost on the opposite uh, side of exactly. traditional science. Yes. Um, but, when, but when scientists have incorporated it into their work, it really gives us so much more understanding, yes. which yes. as humans, we like to understand things. Exactly, <laughs> and I think given another few hundred years, I don't know if we're gonna last that long, we're gonna <laughs> kill ourselves before that, but it's still, because it's unseen and it's still under the table, people think of it as something to fear. Yeah. And I don't fear it. I, I, I work in the universe, I am in the flow of the universe. Um, I then worked with a, very angry German woman <laughs> who ran the baboon sanctuary and she, being an impressionable teenager who was already angry with the world, mm. I hated humans and I loved animals, her anger rubbed off on me mm. and I was a devil. <laughs> I, would, I would climb over counters and strangle people if they crossed me. But I then, after vet nursing, I was uh, after studying vet nursing, I was in England, and it, it from from the beginnings of the tea touch and the Reiki, it pushed me to seek out a Reiki master, and I found a beautiful lady called Leslie, and she did my Reiki level one and two 
with me and she was incredible so she worked through all of that anger with me it was almost mm. like having a counseling session and a catharsis and a crying it out and just a removal of all the badness to open up like i said the conduit um, for universal energy to come through me that's so interesting because yeah. you literally had to clear your yes. own body yes. of all yes. the major issues yes. that you had in order to be able to help animals exactly which you were already doing yes um, giving you were able to give animals a lot of love yes. and maybe part of that was part of your motivation was actually to be able to help the animals but like i said the universe flows in such an incredible way sometimes what we think we need is not what the universe wants for us so we'll knock on doors but the the active word here is knock you have to knock you mm -hmm. can't sit back and say fate will make me win the lottery right. you have to get up and do the action so the universe knows that you're aligning yourself with what you should be doing you knock on the doors some of them will open and some of them won't yeah. so in the process of me wanting to work with animals the Reiki came with to me and it healed me of all, all the anger that that was weighing me down mm. so it opened me up to the next step and the next step because that was the proper path that I needed to be in. It is quite amazing how your life has flowed. Yes. Because you've gone from working with the angry German woman yes. and um, really loving those animals that, oh, that you worked with yes. Yes. and going, what next? And that came quite quickly. It did because it was meant. It, and, and that's why I keep talking about the universal flow in my book is because a lot of people fight. They, you know, I want to do this, and they, and and they seem to come up against obstacles all the time. Mm. You know, there's a lot of stuff written about do you know life coaches and do what you got to do, but that's why I push about the action thing. You've got to you've got to knock on all those doors, and if they close, you've got to understand that maybe that's not the way you should go. Yeah. So it ha it is. It's flowed. One thing flowed to another. Then I was in Uganda. Then I was in Cameroon. And then I was, you know, it just. It's it's kind of sublime how it's worked. Yeah. What have the the animals taught you about life, or is there has there been anything? Oh, a huge amount. Mostly everything, but. Um, so working with primates was really interesting because, again, the universe is like, oh, okay, you need to learn this. Being so antisocial as a teenager, being angry with my father and being angry at the world, so puts me in a situation where I'm, where I'm learning from primates who are very similar to humans, but they can't really lie so much about, they do lie, but but their behavior is is so similar to the way humans behave that for me to see it in its purest form gave me a wisdom about how humans behave right. so as an example the i think i need to talk about the lying thing because i keep saying it um so i started working with with the baboons at um, a place called CARE, the Center for Animal Rehabilitation and Education. And Rita Miller was the, the German director of it. Her story is incredible. But my place there was for me to get used to a troop of baboons that had grown up at the sanctuary in order to release them into the wild and I was going to go and live in the wild with them and teach them how to be wild animals. So I thought arrogantly. But uh, turns out they, they would have taught me so much more than I, you know, stupid, arrogant teenager. But I was sitting trying to get used to the names and the faces of the baboons on, you know, maybe my first or my second day. and. A male baboon, we had a wild troop, which Rita called the long tits because they had pendulous nipples. <laughs> but the long tits were, were just, they hung around there and they mated with the, the other baboons through the, the wire and they ate their food. And they were, they were great. 
So um, they were a wild troop that hung around? In that area, yeah, because it was next to the Olifants River, very close to the Kruger Park, okay. and we had a, a nature reserve across the river from us. So they just hung around, and they were great. I loved them. Uh, the alpha male, he was, he was a great guy. I also loved him. And the scenario was a male baboon in search of mating two girls who were in estrus. So usually the alpha male doesn't allow that, so they need to do it on the quiet, because alpha male has rights to mate with whomever he chooses. So other males that are adults, but not ranked, they need to do it on the sly. Right. So this guy came over the rise, and when a female is in estrus, her, her, um, it's a callosity on her bum, it's it engorges with blood, and it looks like a big, um, broccoli almost and it's pink and it's bloody and it's lovely um, and it's very sexy so these two girls were trying to get his attention so he followed the one female and as he took the the path to following the female over the rise the female that he ignored uttered the sound they make after mating which told the female that he was following it's too late, I've mated with him already, and she lost interest and left. And he turned around and he was like, hold on, I didn't mate with any of you, you lied. <laughs> and I just sat there thinking, okay, that was pretty, that was pretty calculated. Yeah. Now baboons occur on the African continent in various forms from the north to the south of Africa. Um, Gelada baboons in Ethiopia are, I think they're in the process of n not being classified as baboons anymore. But baboons can live in mountains, on, uh, in like a marine habitat. They can eat shellfish and mussels like our Cape baboons. There are baboons in Namibia that have long legs. They need to walk long distances and their mm. little ears are burnt uh, because they live in that dry kind of area. They can go for long times without water. Um, there's yellow baboons, there's hamadryas baboons. So they can occur in various habitats, yes. which my opinion of them is that their social behaviour has to be calculated. It has to encompass so many scenarios and so many politics. Yeah. And I've seen it in, in my work with them, how the females are actually the dominants. The male is physically dominant, and, yes. and a, a, a male baboon's canine teeth outweigh a lion's canine teeth, That's and they crazy. can be yeah, they can be really vicious. Yeah. But when when you are within the grouping, you see that the girls actually have the last say. They will they will decide who's going to mate with them. Yeah. They you know it's them who's making the babies so they want their offspring to be the strongest so they are going to decide do I want physical strength do I want mental strength yeah. so that you know they they control a lot of that but the boys as usual think that they and they do have a place the 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 ranking is alpha beta you know you've got a triangular kind of ranking yeah. But it works. And you said, so there's actually more going on than just the triangular. Oh, def definitely. Because so there, there's a more. kind of subtle yes. uh, thing going on with the, with the females. Yes. That yes. Which and kind of happens that's what it, I'm with saying. humans as well. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I, learned, I learned human behavior through what I saw in the, in the, in the baboons and in the chimps. So, w like within the female baboon um, structure, the, the links to human behavior, when I looked at the females and their offspring and, you know, their sisters and their aunts and their nieces and their nephews and there's all sorts of things happening. Because a baboon troop in the wild can be quite big, up to 100, 200, you oh know. Um, so, f family bonds and friendship bonds exist. And it's kind of like back scratching behavior as well. If I'm kind to you, you'll be you'll look out for me. Um, so if if you have a baby baboon when they're first born and they and they're pink faces, they they've got these tight little grips on their mommy's bellies and and they don't let go and they do this twitchy thing when they're upset. Mm -hmm. 
And so for the first few weeks, they, they'll, they'll cling on and they will, they, they'll suckle. And when the mother sits down, you'll have aunts coming and they'll, you know, surreptitiously try and touch or, you know, stroke the baby because babies are so important. And that's yeah. with humans as well. We all want to touch the baby. Yes. Um, and then as that baby starts to get more confident, she'll move from mother, like just maybe 20 centimeters, but jump back. Oh, there's a green leaf. Oh, jump back. It's so scary. And, and auntie or, you know, niece will be there. Yes. And even young females, like human kids with dolls. Yes. They'll, they'll tickle them and touch them. And then baby gets scared and comes back. And then as baby grows more confident, it goes a meter away, two meters away. Until a year old, the face starts going black. And on that day... When you're less than a year, I've seen a pink face jumping up and down on an alpha male's head without problems. Yes. And he was like, yeah, do what you got to do. When they become, their faces become black, they become disciplined. And discipline is biting. Right. If you step out of place, I'm going to bite you. And it's not biting to hurt them. It's not biting to puncture skin. It's a hiding. Right. It's a kid getting a hiding. You cannot negotiate with a child that is three years old, you know? I'm not saying go out and hit your kids. I'm no. saying that in baboon society, the only way to negotiate is to give them a, a little bite and mm. say that's wrong. So that's it's enough, communication. Yeah, it's enough to wake them up and go, oh, okay, I won't do that again because mm. that had a negative effect. Yeah. But the training is also like, don't go into that danger situation because you're going to die, right? So yeah. I need to discipline you, come back here, and that's what it's about. So, you know, your little black faces, you'll hear it. If you, if you just take the time to sit in a troop of baboons, you'll often hear young ones getting hiding, screaming, and <laughs> but you'll hear a number of noises. There's this little kind of... Mm, 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 mm. That's, it's very placating. It's like, how's it going? How are you doing? Let's have tea. Let's talk. <laughs> and then there's the lip smacking, yes. which is, uh, I'll show you. It's like, that is also placating. So when you are grooming another friend and opening up their, their hair, that touch is an energy flow. It's, it's meant, you're meant to be finding fleas, yes. but it's and so really, mm, mm. there's not a lot of fleas on a baboon. <laughs> Also, um, I read somewhere that it's when you are licking that skin surface, you are actually getting skin salts in you. So mm. it's, it's, you might be getting a nutritional thing from that. Yeah. I don't know how true that is, but it serves as a very calming uh, bonding exercise. Yeah. So in, in respect with humans, we touch each other, we go for massages, we brush each other's hair. It's that kind of touch, yeah. you know, exercise. Um, what what baboons and chimps do is like mock mating, which maybe we don't do in public, but we might <laughs> we might do it elsewhere. <laughs> um, so they will mount each other as as almost a uh, to to duplicate each other and okay. to dominate each other, like. Dogs will mount each other as a dominance behavior. Yes, that I understand. Um, bonobos do it. That you know, females will mate females. It's 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 the act. It's not penetration. Yeah. It is an act of subduing each other, of of getting that bond again. It's not about reproduction. So it's not always a dominant thing. It can be um, just like okay, calm down. I'm yes. still here. Yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's very interesting. Yeah. yeah. And um, I also read in your book that the the mommy of a of a little uh, baby i think it was i can't remember if it was a chimp or a baboon mm -hmm. but she got jealous because you were spending time with her baby and she she nipped you oh she didn't nip me she nearly took my hand off i was quite surprised <laughs> by how calm you you I explained had to be. it i had to be so that that called for some severe calculation in my brain so this was a story when i when i worked uh on the chimp sanctuary it's a place called Ngamba Island, it's in Lake Victoria in Uganda. And when I was there, we had uh, 40 ch about 40 chimps in two groups. There was an adult group 
who had arrived there much before I came. And there was a baby group with individuals from a few months old to about a year or so old. So with there was a large overnight enclosure with, uh, I used to make hessian hammocks for them to sleep in at the top. And um, yeah, you, I, well, you, I saw a picture in yes, your book. There's yeah. lots of really cool pictures <laughs> in your book, um, and that's very high. It is high. So <laughs> we used to we used to do that for them. We used to do lots of enrichment for them. But this specific story was about um, oh, what was her name? I befriended three chimps. Like I vibrated with three chimps, mm, mm. and they became my friends. The other chimps were cool. I mean, we we interacted. But these three specifically were quite close to me. So Eddie, he was a beta male, and he was in a fight with the alpha male Robbie. And when chimps fight, they they bite each other and they go for each other's genitals. Oh. So Eddie was bit on his scrotal sac, and we had to bring him in, and he had a bit of ICU time. And during that time, I did a lot of enrichment with him, and I played with him, and I groomed him, and we I would run up, and I didn't go in the cage with him, because that's quite dangerous, yeah. right? Um, so I spent a lot of time outside his ICU cage, and we bonded a what lot. What is ICU? Uh, intensive care unit. Oh, right. So it was, you know, it was just, he had to not scratch his stitches, and yes. so I had to spend a lot of time with him, and we bonded a lot. He was he was my big old boyfriend. I liked him a lot, and so the other female, she was she was a little antisocial like me. She was a little <laughs> anti. She had one good friend in the troop, and um, she kept to herself. And her and I just, I think we had that in common. So we would sit with, with each other a lot and groom and I'd chat to her and we'd like gossip and... How do you gossip with the chimp? Oh, you just like, you do their fingernails and you, ah. and you, and you just talk to them, you know? And it, I think it's the tone of your voice and, you know, you can tickle them and they laugh. Yeah. You can do all sorts of like chatty stuff with them and... They, they don't necessarily understand words, but there have been some trials in America where they trained a chimp to use uh, sign language, mm. and the chimp actually signed that it didn't want to be in a cage and it didn't want to be, oh, wow. you know. And then they, I, I don't know which state, I speak under correction, but it, they, they decided <laughs> that chimps would be classified as sentient beings because... <laughs> they could actually above any say. other animal, which should all we are all sentient <laughs> beings. But yeah, very interesting. So her and I also had a, a friendship, and then the with that with the adult group. Unfortunately, on an island, you we had to um, control reproduction. So you don't want an overpopulation on an island. Yeah. So one of the females, uh, they had um, hormone implants. Uh, on their on their forearms, mm. which lasted a couple of months, but this one female scratched herself and got pregnant. Oh. So her baby was the only baby of that group, and she was named Chewunya, which means surprise. We didn't know, and suddenly <laughs> there was a surprise. <laughs> and Chewunya needed playmates, and obviously this is a very unnatural situation for a baby to be on its own in a group of highly social animals. Mm, so the only baby in a group of animals. Exactly. Yeah. And so I felt it my duty to, um, to, to, to be a little pal to Chuanyu, yeah. tickle her and play with her and do little kitty stuff with her. Yeah. So we bonded as well. So, so long story, but the one day I was sitting at the cage, the, the chimps had come in for the evening. They came from the main, the main part of the island is given over to a forest for the chimps. And they would disappear into the forest during the day, but they had supplement feeding three times a day. Where that we would throw, um, there was a f feeding platform, and we would th throw uh, fruits and things over to them. But when they came in for the evening, they had a porridge mix, which was enriched with calciums and stuff, just so that they were okay nutritionally. And um, fruits and veg and all sorts of stuff. Uh, so. That evening time was a winding down time. They'd been playing the whole day. They were tired. They just wanted to chill. And I was sitting and chilling with Eddie. And Chiwinyo and Eddie were there. And everything was nice. 
Chiwinya was being a little clown. Eddie was just like poking her. And, and we were having a, a nice little sundowner together. <laughs> and I saw Becky come from the back of the cage and I kept my eye on her and she came towards me and she just sat down it, within the group and I felt okay, but she picked up my hand and she bit right down to the bone. Oh. And she dropped my hand and she walked away. And if I had screamed, I, chimps are very vocal and very emotional. Yeah. And if I had screamed, all hell would have broken loose. And so I had to kind of suck it up, <laughs> put my hand over the blood and remove myself in a very cool way, which I did. Without running without, for your life. Without like... Oh! <laughs> and I looked down, the bone, the bone was visible. Oh. So a chimp is like eight times stronger than a human being. They can take your hand off. And she wasn't going to take my hand off. She was just warning me, I'm jealous. Yeah. And I don't like what you're doing. <laughs> so, you know, they, chimps are like 99.9. It, it differs on which scientific paper you read. Yeah. But they are 99.9 something the same as us. Yes. So it, it's a given that genetically, they, genetically, yeah, yeah. it's a given that they behave the same way as us. Right. We had some researchers come onto that sanctuary and they were doing behavioral studies. And they didn't like me because I was questioning, like, why do you need to, like, if you know that the chimp is going to choose a red ball over a green ball, why do you need to know this? It's not going to help their conservation in the big scheme of things. Yes. And they tried to explain that away, but they didn't really like me because I was, I was taking the questioning too far. But it was good enrichment for the chimps, right? Yeah. So we had... They got to play. They did get to play. Yeah. And, and amongst chimps, you get more stupid chimps and more intelligent chimps. So we had the alpha female of the adult group was called Kidogo, and that means big, big girl. And she was short but stout, yes. like strong as an ox. And she was intelligent. Yes. So they had this one, um, almost a test to see how intelligent chimps were. And, and the, the researcher was like, yeah, we've done this and it's only really one orangutan that we found that can, can get this on the first go. And Kidoga came in and I said, Watch this. <laughs> Watch she, this. And she comes in and she gets the test right immediate. And he's just like, um, have, have we started the cameras rolling? Because <laughs> she came in and she aced it, right? So the test was um, a bear enclosure, a perspex tube with peanuts at the bottom yeah. that's too long for you to put your finger in, yes. and there's nothing else apart from a tap in the corner. Right. She comes in, she sees the peanuts, she fills her mouth with water, she fills the perspex tube and the peanuts, and she sits there eating the peanuts. Wow. And I mean, just some like, humans wouldn't have exactly. done that. So yeah. I'm like, yeah, I could have told you that. Yeah. But he wouldn't have got that and he wouldn't have got that. Yeah. So because I worked with them and I knew who was cleverer and who was, you know, some of them have a real dry sense of humour. Yeah. Some of them are just doof. Yeah. It's like people. And I learned a lot in my years with, with... And I'd say that baboons are actually more intelligent than chimps. Oh, wow. Because they've got this... They have to survive in the wild, yes. right? So they have to... F and they have to live in these communities and they have to find their own food. Humans now just, you know, f go to the shops. We have to figure out how to make some money. That's what yeah, we have to do. the worst thing. <laughs> so we don't have to go and hunt the mammoth yeah. and trap the bear. Yeah. We go to the shops. Yes. So we've lost a lot of that. Right. We don't have to work together. So us Which is incredibly important. Exactly. Our sense of community is dropping there's more divorce, there's more depression, mm. there's more solitude. There's, 
because we are inherently social species and we're losing all of that, yeah. but then working with sociable animals and seeing how rich their lives are when they have to work towards a cause which is quite difficult yeah. to, ma to get enough energy in a day and then at night try not to get eaten by a damn leopard, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's hectic! So yeah. I did. I learnt a lot and I miss them every day. They are, they are so cool. S very cool. Going back to the baboons, you speak in your book, there's so many stories in your book, but in your book you talk about the troop of baboons that live outside the enclosure and the alpha male that then dies and it's a very sad story. Yes. Yes. Um, but the baboon that takes over Yes. I, I found it absolutely fascinating, your insight into the, the way that the other baboons changed yeah. depending on their leader. Yes, yes. And that's another thing you, you know about human behaviour is uh, w uh, communities are guided by leaders and it's the character of the leader, right? Yeah. So the alpha male of the long tits was Giovanni and he was enormous. He used to sit at the kitchen because Rita used to give him some treats now and then. He was, he was very cool. And the one day I tried to get in the kitchen and he slapped my leg and he looked at me and he said, use the other door. And I said, no problem, I'll go around the other side. <laughs> yeah, okay. so, but he wasn't, he wasn't cruel. Yeah. He was not, uh, he was fair. He, he had to do his thing. He had to show that he was strong. He had to put people in their place. He had to put his members of his community in, in their place in order to, to show his strength. But he was intelligent, but he was kind. Yeah. And as a result, the long tits were relaxed. They, they played, they had happy times. That's why we never, like sometimes if the long tits were fighting with the caged uh, baboons, Rita would walk out with a handgun and fire it off to scare the kids away. She like she didn't ever aim a, a firearm at these animals. She just it was just a way to get the long tits to behave if they were causing causing nonsense. For the most part, the long tits were fantastic. Unfortunately, in that area, there were farmers and they they put snare traps uh, in order to snare animals or kill baboons. Farmers don't like baboons to eat their food. Giovanni got his wrist caught in a snare and the more you pull in a snare, the tighter it gets. Mm. And he, we didn't see him for a few days and he eventually got, f he didn't get free of the snare. He, he pulled, they're very strong, and he just pulled the whole thing away and he, he came to the feed room and Rita saw that he had not eaten for days. He was weak. And Rita herself was not a very good shot. <laughs> so we had a dart gun and she basically said to him, I need to dart you to get this off. And we used ketamine and ketamine burns and none of the baboons liked you with a dart gun. They would, they would leave when they saw the dart gun. And Rita basically said to him, I, ne I need to shoot you. And he sat there and he waited for her to shoot him. And she wow. shot him basically point blank, like about a metre. Wow. That must have been sore. It was sore yeah. and he understood what she had to say and he sat there. Yeah. He went down. After a big struggle, they got the snare off his arm. She left him in the feed room to eat as much as he wanted in the morning. And in when the he morning, woke up. he <laughs> woke up, he, he, he had as much as he needed and Risha led him out. He, subsequently, he disappeared again and we couldn't find him. He was weakened by the septicemia and it was a few days and we found his body. Um, it was a leopard who had realised that Giovanni was weakened by his mm. condition. And it was a, about probably a 10 metre radius of trees just being decimated by this fight that must have ensued. Oh. And Giovanni's body, it's in my book, there is a picture of it. It's not great, but it tells the story. The leopard basically ate uh, his organs and uh, one of the, care the um, feed guys found his body in the morning. Mm. It's nature, it happens, but it happened because of human intervention. It yeah. shouldn't have happened. But, um, you know, 
I don't know, it's life. It's life and it's death. So, so going to the story of when Giovanni died and yes. the next, uh, the next male, alpha, alpha male, male came in, into yes. power yes. and how different the troop was. Exactly. So, so when, you, when you remove an alpha male from a troop, whether death or whatever, for whatever reason, they are going to fight amongst themselves for the next highest ranking. And as, as with chimps, you know, you have to prove yourself physically and mentally. Mm. The next baboon that was strongest and um, would win more battles was a guy called Harley. And he had long legs and long arms, but he was a bit of an asshole. Mm -hmm. And he would wake up in the morning and run over corrugated roofs, bang on them, like barking his dominance. Mm. So everybody was waking up stressed. He would chase females around and he would, this was his way of trying to prove his dominance. So yeah. he, he turned the whole community into like just nervous wrecks because A, they're scared of him mm. and he's causing such, you know, a trauma in this, in this group with his noise and his banging and his barking and he's shouting at people. Mm. So I say people, I mean baboons. Yeah. They are people to me Yes, I um, when I speak about them. Um, <laughs> so he, by default, became the alpha. the alpha because he was the strongest. There yeah. was not a period that, that there could be, you know, some, some takeover. Giovanni was dead, you know, in that, yeah. in that time, in that short space of time. So we actually noticed this huge change in the personality and the character of the group as a whole and individuals. Wow. They were scared, they mm. were nervous, they were nitpicking each other, they were fighting. And it's, it's what we do, so it's what we do. Yeah, so like really the stress changed them exactly. into yeah. Yeah. Um, not so nice chips. Yeah. Uh, baboons. Yeah, <laughs> 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 People, yeah. so yeah. And that mirrors our societies. Yeah. You know, we've got these terrible leaders, corrupt leaders lying to us. But we voted them in, right? That's debatable. It's debatable. To some yeah. people. But, but in, yes, yeah. It, you know, in, in a chimp community, the alpha male is there because the community allows him to be there. Right. There's strength in numbers, and, and that male knows that if he messes up, yeah. the, the community will stand up and oust him. Yes. And that's unfortunately not what we do in our society. Mm. There's all this corruption and there's all this mind games, mind games and backhands and blah, blah, blah. How mm. do you get this guy in power out? Mm. You know, apart from assassinating him, it's very hard. <laughs> Because there's so much politics. But in a chimp community, the, the group decides. Yes. They will submit to him because they've said, you are our leader, you are the strongest, and you are the most intelligent. You will take us to the fruiting trees, and you will protect us because of your intelligence. You'll have a strategy to protect us. So we give you the power to look after us. Yeah. But we will also take you down if you mess up. Yeah. That's another thing I learned about humans. Yeah. But um, so with this group where they were so stressed, were they, were they maybe, did they um, decide that the new alpha male shouldn't be there or were they actually just too stressed to even make the in, change? In that, in that instance, he was stronger than them. Mm. And, and baboons can kill each other. Um, so unfortunately, after Harley's takeover, I had to leave the sanctuary. Mm. I got very ill. I had a blood disease and I collapsed. And <laughs> so it was, a, it, in a way, it was the universe saying, you need to move ahead now. And that was me deciding. My father gave me a few ultimatums, which don't really work with me. I have a problem with authority, but it was a good move for me to say, I need to study vet nursing, because if I'm gonna help these animals further, our, our um, m medical kit was a jar of needles in some bleach and fishing line and our lovely dart gun wow. and a tongue, a plier. Yeah. So uh, we didn't really have a sterile technique, but baboons are so incredibly strong 
they can heal in a day. They, yeah. Their immune systems are divine. You know, we had, a, we had a baboon who was in a fight and cut his lip and was unable to lick his own lip. But the, with the stitching up, it was healed over in a day. It mm. was incredible. But I did need to have more skill if I was going to... And, and I was sold. I was going to work with primates. Mm. And I knew that I needed um, uh, some more formalised learning. So I did my vet nursing. Out in Africa, where there wasn't a lot of help for, for the communities, people would come to you to fix them up. Yeah. So you weren't actually just looking after animals. You yeah. ended up looking after people as well. We did. We did. So... After Uganda, I went to work in the Cameroon, a very different situation in that the, the chimp enclosures were on land, a, a, an enclosed forested area, and um, the, the sanctuary is called Sanagayong uh, Chimp Rescue Centre, run by a lovely vet, uh, Dr. Speed, and I went to volunteer there. Now, Cameroon is a third world country in the forest. It's pretty poor. People live off the land, they do. But unfortunately, they are raping their forests. They are selling their old growth trees. There are trees going out on trains into uh, to um, Douala every day. The forest is being taken away, so they're going into the forest eating their Killing primates. their resources, actually. They, they've always eaten bushmeat. Right. It's not, it's, in the Western world, they think, oh, how can you eat a chimp? They've always done it. Like we've eaten cows and pigs. Yeah. They've always done it. Yeah. You can't judge that. Yeah. But they, there's so many more people needing more resources and the resources are going through to first world countries. I digress. The story mm. is about, oh, the, the help that we were giving. Well, actually, actually um, you say that the, um, the resources are going through to first world countries. You're not just talking about the trees; you're actually talking about the trade of animals as yes. well. Yeah, yeah. Which so is which which is uh, um, some horrific stories in your book. Is. Very sad. Yes, the pet the pet trade is awful, and it's not only chimps, but you can get more money selling a baby chimp f as a pet than selling an adult chimp as a piece of meat. Because the first world has this demand, this insatiable demand for exotic animals. There and are birds going out of the Amazon, of forests, of birds in suitcases, in toilet rolls. There are reptiles in suitcases going out. They're, they're going across borders in absolutely horrendous situations. And most of them are dying. Mm. Because and people want to have birds in cages. And if not, then just incredibly unhappy. Yeah. And maltreated. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I've seen flocks of African grey parrots talking to each other, flying in Ugandan skies and just being so happy. And then you find a single parrot in a cage and it's learnt to talk and it's pulling its feathers out. Yeah. And it is a, it is a social animal mm. and it needs to fly and we've put it in jail. So I'm... I'm just, I'm not for birds in cages. I'm sorry, I'm not for, f for fishes in tanks. It's mm. We jail these animals for our pleasure and our entertainment, and we don't understand. We, we have these reptiles in terrariums, and we don't understand that they come from vast deserts, and they've got territories, and they've got behavior, you know, and we put little clothes on them, and we think it's funny. It's awful what we're doing because we are dominant. We have to control them. I, I hate it and I can... I think it's also about an understanding and education. Yes. Um, we can enjoy those animals so much more yes. by seeing them in their natural yes. habitats. Yes, and but that, we can't that control them. No, we yeah. can't control them. Um, and, and if you think about it, we don't, re we don't... There's nothing in us that needs to control another animal. We need to first figure out how to control ourselves. Yeah, yeah. And that's actually... I think that's the, the, the important part, is if you can't control the animals and you can't control someone else, oh, okay, let me figure out how to control my own emotions. Yes, and yes. Uh, well, that is a case of wine conversation. It's, yes, it it's is. It's going to take is. us upon another branch. It is, but, uh, I mean, 
to, to be able to see animals in their natural habitat yes. is far nicer than yes. having them in your in your room uh, in a in a cage. Exactly. And the the yeah and and some of the stories that I read in your book around um, those animals that that are caged up it's 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 very sad it is and uh, definitely it should not be happening no. and I think all all the, the people that are listening to to this know that already yes, yes. Um, but the maybe they maybe people don't know how um, how much it is actually happening yeah. bec and because people need to make money and yeah. that's why they're doing it that's true as well yeah. that's true it it's what is the solution <sighs> I so, so it's that's a very personal thing. Right. It's th when you ask me what is the solution to this world's problems, or <laughs> or the pe or the pet trade, or <laughs> what is the solution in your experience? It, in my opinion and in my experience, the solution is um, a reduction of people. <laughs> okay, <coughs> if if we all just reproduce ourselves and we stabilize our population, mm. then you, you know, then we don't have to spread resources so thinly. Yeah. The overpopulation means that we have to mow down more forests in order to feed all these people. We have to find <coughs> ways to make money so that each person can have a little bit of the pie. Mm -hmm. And in so doing, we are destroying our natural world yeah. so that each person can have a piece of the pie. The bottom of that statement is each person. Reduce the amount of people that want a slice of the pie and your slice of the pie gets bigger and is, you know, more quality. Stop reproducing. <laughs> it's a or have one. Exactly. Child, yeah. Just replace yourself so that our population can stable out and people can have jobs. That is an idealistic mm. viewpoint. Mm. But I've been, I've worked in welfare and I've, I've been in those absolutely tragic situations where you think this is so unfair how can I change this I'm only one person and I can only do what one person can do you know in our country we're not even pushing recycling that hard mm. you still go to checkers and they everybody takes a plastic bag the earth has to swallow our plastic yeah. Just stop using that much, you know? Yeah, yeah. But it's an individual decision. Yes. When individuals decide to change their behavior, that's where the solution lies. Right. But we look, oh, he's doing it, so I'll do it. He took a bag, I'll take a bag. You know? Yeah. He's yeah. playing loud music, I'll play loud music. <sighs> take responsibility take for yourself. You know, I talk about the universe a lot. I don't believe in a religious God. I believe that there is a flow of good and evil and it flows very beautifully. Mm. There is positive and there is negative. Mm. As individuals, positivity breeds po positivity, but so does negativity. But you have to start doing it yourself. Yeah. It won't always pay back immediately, but the flow of the universe means that you're accruing those positive atoms right it's gonna happen yeah yeah no, you know absolutely you agree, agree with, with me and i yeah. think that people who are listening agree with that yes. way of thinking yeah start with yourself don't and let it ripple yeah, out don't always think that it's somebody's else somebody else's responsibility to fix your stuff yeah what's happened in the past is over mm. it's over yes it hurt you learn from it those Every conflict situation, every trauma is a lesson. Mm. And every positive thing is a gift. There are, there are numerous sayings, Eastern sayings about crisis and opportunity, for which I am a full disciple. The bad times in my life have been the biggest points of growth for me. They had to happen yeah. so that I grew. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. In a lot of times, it was hard to go through that. But if I hadn't gone through that, it wouldn't make me who I am now. Yeah. So what is the solution? Stop making lots of bear bears <laughs> and, um, and take responsibility to, for yourself. Don't blame a god or a devil for what you've done. Mm -hmm. They say God is love, for one thing. So it's love. 
for me it's kindness just be kind to each other yeah just be kind to each other and if we also being kind to each other be kind to the animals and the nature just, as well. just be kind because <laughs> kindness encompasses everything kindness means i'm not going to cut you off in the queue i'm not going to jump the queue so that's my biggest mantra is kindness because everything falls under kindness but take responsibility for yourself what's gone in the past is gone learn from it and be okay with yourself i'm going to start bringing our conversation to an end cool. for our for our beautiful listeners um, please do check out liz's book book of pages um, she also goes mm. more into how she looks after communities in africa as well as the animals Liz, is there anything else that you want to add before we finish our chat? Um, the, well, the, the book the book is a memoir of my of my experiences, not only Middle Africa, but I also um, came back to Cape Town. I got very sick, and I worked in uh, companion animal care, dogs and cats near Soweto, and welfare stuff. And there's a, there's a section about my life in Cape Town when I was acting on stage. Just, it's just little stories which are, you know, my life. Yeah. And I think that there's, there's a lot of education about animals in it. There is, yes. And, yeah. And it's entertaining. It it's is. not all heavy, yeah. which I love. Yeah, I tried to keep it light because it is a heavy subject. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's what happened. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank Liz. you. Thank you for all your wisdom. Thank you. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the Nixie Pod podcast. Please do subscribe.